welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Paul said he'd been given this responsibility, this stewardship uh, of the grace of God to preach Christ. And here we find the word used again, but this time in verse 9, he's talking about God's administration of this mystery. And he doesn't specifically uh, say what the mystery is there in verse 9, but as we move to, to verse 10, we can see he's, he's talking about the church. And it's the, the, God's plan or God's uh, administration of what we now are living in, this church, this time in which God is building His church. He's calling people out of the world unto Himself uh, to form this body, the body of Christ. And we're all united together in Christ. The same, the same word there that's translated plan was also used in chapter 1. If you think back to chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And there it's uh, also translated plan for the fullness of time. In other words, it's God's plan or God's administration of this coming time. And he's speaking of when Christ would return. And he says that he's going to unite all things in Christ. And so that's where God is moving his program. And the, and the church, this, this age in which we're in now, is part of that, everything being united in Christ. And it's going to culminate in his, his return his kingdom that will be on the earth, and we'll see that culmination, and God will be honored and glorified in all of that. But for now, uh, he is uh, building his church. You see, the church wasn't an afterthought. It's in God's heart. It's his plan from eternity past, we're told here. From the, he says uh, there in verse 9, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You remember that Christ told his disciples, I will build my church. But at that stage, the disciples couldn't have imagined what he was going to do and what that would look like. But when Acts 2 came, the Holy Spirit of God came and, and, and dwelt uh, the believers. You see the preaching of Peter. And thousands come to faith in Christ. And the disciples begin to realize what this church would, that Christ was talking about was going to be like. And, and later, Peter himself would learn that the, the Gentiles were to be part of that equal. And it's what Paul is emphasizing here in this passage. So the church is what God is now doing, busy building. He's this body of Christ, the bride of Christ. That's where his focus is. He says that he loved the church and gave himself up for her. As you study Paul's preaching, you see this great theme of the revelation of God's plan for the church through Christ. Now notice the passage again that uh, Joshua read for us in Colossians 1. Uh, verse 24 to 27. And look carefully and you'll see 
brought together these themes that he's been dealing with in uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I am filling up what Christ, uh, what uh, is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the church. That's what God is doing. He's called us out of the darkness into the light and brought us together and united us in him. This revelation was given to Paul, and it was his job to make it known, to bring it to light. And we have this revelation in the letters to the churches, and we are greatly blessed to be in this, living in this time. God is building His church. Paul also shows that there's a, a greater purpose to what God is doing in and through the church. And it's, a, uh, it's, it's not talked about very much. You see a verse or two here and there where reference is made to the angels and how that should impact how we conduct ourselves. And here's one of those places. And it's the last point that we want to look at this morning in this section. And that is the eternal purpose of God. And let's just read, look there in verse 10 and 11. He says, so that, and that, that gives us a clue that there's a purpose here. There, there's, some, there's a reason. And he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, if I'd ask this morning... <clears throat> What is the purpose of the church? I would have gotten some good answers this morning, I think. And uh, some of you may have may would have said something like, well, to be a witness to the world. We're to be salt and light in the world. Or you may have said to hold forth the word of life. The church is the ground and the buttress of truth. Or someone may have said to encourage and support one another in living uh, for Christ. And then, no doubt, someone would have said to be to the praise and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of those would have been good statements, good, uh, good purposes for the church. But it's, it's unlikely that, that anyone would have said to demonstrate to the angels the manifold wisdom of God. <laughs> That's just not something that we think about. But that is in God's purpose for the church, as he says here, and he reveals here. And that's what he's talking about, the angels. He, this phrase, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, he's uh, used before in chapter 1, verse 21, uh, there where he's in 20 and 21, he's talking about Christ who's been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. And he goes on to say, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but one to come. He's talking about the angels. Christ is exalted above these heavenly beings. And you remember later in chapter 6 and verse 12, where he's talking about the, or putting on the armor and, and, and admonishing us to stand firm in the faith because we have this enemy. And there he uses the same terminology of the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And there he's talking about the demonic angels or the, the fallen angels. Well, it's for sure the fallen angels have no desire to worship God, but they cannot deny the wisdom of God. And when they see the church, they can't help but recognize this manifold wisdom of God. And so God has this purpose for the church. The, the word translated manifold speaks of something multifaceted or, or multicolored. Uh, the wisdom of God is manifold. It's multifaceted. If you think of light and how that light is multicolored, its various wavelengths, but we can't always see those colors. But if you take a prism, you can, uh, you can break, break up those light beams and see the colors through that prism. Well, in a similar way, God uses the church to display his, or at least part of his manifold wisdom. Notice that Paul had referred to God at the end of verse 9 as the creator of all things. Well, the angels had already, they already knew a great deal about God. Uh, from creation, they had seen His wisdom and, and power. But they can't see all the wisdom of God in creation. Uh, they, as you think back through the, the history that we have of God's dealing with man in the Old Testament, the angels would have learned a great deal about God, about His mercy, His grace, His love, His justice and long-suffering. But when they look at the church, they see even more of the wisdom of God. They see a, a redeemed church, a church that's bought out of its slavery to sin, its condemnation through the Lord Jesus Christ and His death for us on the cross. They see God dealing once and for all with this great problem of sin. I think, I think often we fail to realize what a, what a great dilemma sin is. It wasn't really a, a dilemma for God because in His wisdom He had already planned how He was going to deal with it. But if you were an angel looking on, you would have recognized this is an unsolvable dilemma. A God who is holy and righteous and just, how can He ever forgive sinful men? And yet, as they look at the church, they see how God resolved this unsolvable problem. He has sent His own Son to die for us, to become one of us and to die for us in our place so that those that come to Him in faith might be forgiven, have their sins removed. And not only that, not only forgiven, not only sins removed so that we could uh, have a relationship with Him, we are told that we are identified with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection in such a way that we are now said to be in Christ. 
that, that we are unified together in Him, which is also an incredible revelation. It's incredible thought to think this morning. And because the fact that we are unified in Him, we can be unified with each other. This is the mystery of Christ that He's, that he's been talking about. Paul wrote later in chapter 5, and verse 32, when he's talking about the, the husbands and wives and, and how that uh, they picture this union between uh, Christ and the church, he said it is a profound mystery. And when the angelic host looks at the church, they see facets of God's wis- wisdom that would have never been seen before. One author writes about this. He says again, the overall point that Paul is uh, driving home is to elevate our understanding of the importance of the church and God's eternal purpose so that we will give it proper priority in our lives. He wants us to understand what a great privilege it is that God has chosen us to be agents of carrying out His eternal purpose through the church. The church is not just a nice place to drop by on Sunday if you're not doing anything else. The church is God's vehicle for making known His manifold wisdom, not only on earth, but also to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So must we realize that our lives count for eternity. End of quote. There's also a a statement here from the Believer's Bible Commentary I want to share with you. It says, Paul again uses a metaphor of a school. God is the teacher. The universe is the classroom. The angelic dignitaries are the students. The lesson is on the multifaceted wisdom of God, and the church is the object lesson. From heaven, the angels are compelled to admire his unsearchable judgments and marvel at his ways past finding out. They see how God triumphed over sin to his own glory. They see how he has sent heaven's best for earth's worst. They see how he has redeemed his enemies at enormous cost, conquered them by love, and prepared them as a bride for his own son. They see how he has blessed them with all spiritual blessings in the heavens. And they see that through the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross, more and more glory has come to God and more blessing has come to believing Jews and Gentiles that if sin had never been allowed to enter, uh, then if sin had never been allowed to enter, God has been vindicated, Christ has been exalted, Satan has been defeated, and the church has been enthroned in Christ to share his glory. End of quote. Uh, really uh, true statement, and uh, a statement that um, causes us to ponder this great work of God, and to realize this morning uh, the great blessing that we have of being part of His body, His church, and what God has accomplished for us. And, and to think bigger than just what He's done for me. Uh, God has a greater purpose uh, than just taking us to heaven. He is exalting His own glory and power in the universe among even those who are his enemies. All will fall before him and acknowledge him as Lord uh, to his honor and glory. 
Paul will conclude this section with two practical applications. You notice in verse 12, he says that he speaks of the access that we have to God. Verse 12, he says, in whom, uh, speaking of Jesus, he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And you could ask the question, how does prayer relate to the eternal purpose of God in and through the church? Uh, someone has rightly said, the church advances on its knees. And it's a, it's a, it's a true statement. If we're going to succeed, if we're going to advance in this great purpose, then it must come through prayer in dependence upon the Lord. And the reality is, <clears throat> Satan and his fallen army of demons would like to defeat the church and keep the church from accomplishing its purposes that God has purposed. They do not want the church to display the manifold wisdom of God. Remember in Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, related to this, uh, this great privilege that we have as believers, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then come let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. See, our Lord, you remember, taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we are to draw near to Him in dependence upon Him, trusting Him to accomplish in and through us what He desires to do. The Lord is advancing his program, his purpose for the church, and he wants us to be part of it. Sometimes it's easy to feel like we're not really that important. We don't really have that bigger part to play. But God has a part and a plan for your life. And as your life is part of this bigger body of the church. And so he secondly says, take courage, stand firm, in the faith. And he says it like this, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Verse 13. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For these believers, it was Paul's imprisonment that was causing them to doubt and be discouraged. But for us, we all at times face various trials many times causing us to be discouraged, maybe even causing us to doubt. But in light of what God has done and is doing for the church and in the church, don't lose heart. God's in control, and we are part of His plan. Because we are at the center of God's eternal purpose in Christ, we must pray and not lose heart in our trials. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, this morning for the truths that you've shown us from this passage through the Apostle Paul. These things that had been hidden for so many years. Things that even prophets wrote of and spoke of that did not fully understand what you would do and how you would do it. And now, Father, we live 
and have the full revelation of your word. We can hold it in our hands. We have multiple copies of your word. We're so blessed beyond um, any people that uh, have lived. And we have all of these uh, blessings, Lord, and we're united together in Christ. And we're united together in the body of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would ponder these truths and we would think upon them and it would change us. It would cause us, Father, to, to realize in a greater way your purpose for us. May you be honored and glorified in your church. Amen. Let's uh, praise the Lord together with Yech Avat Lev. If you could stand with me again. privilege to be able to uh, share together in, in memorial what the Lord has done for us. And it really ties in well with this theme that Paul's been dealing with because it speaks of our identification with Christ, our union with him. And, and because of that, we have um, unity with one another. We're united together in him, in Christ. And the and the communion is a, is a way in which the um, Lord is given to remind us of that because we together share in him. We, and so as we, we have the bread, we, we receive it together uh, as a meal that's shared together because together in Christ, uh, we've been redeemed. And uh, Christ paid the price on the cross for us <clears throat> so that we could be the church. Um, he says, Paul records in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. 
Our dear Father, we rejoice this morning in uh, who you are and what you've accomplished for us. And as we grow in our faith and understanding of your word, we're, we're constantly amazed, Father, at your mercy and grace, your plan, redemption. As we've learned this morning, the manifold wisdom of God that we continue to grow in our understanding of. And so, Father, we rejoice in you this morning. We thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the price that he paid for us, the depth of love that was shown and demonstrated that you would come and die uh, for us in our place, the innocent for, the, for us who are guilty, so that we could, um, we could know you, we could be forgiven, and we could uh, one day be uh, resurrected and changed and glorified to be in your presence forever. What a glorious truth that is. We thank you, Father, for the body that was given for us. Amen. Let's receive together. In the same passage, Paul's dealing with problems in the church at Corinth. And one of the big problems was their division, their... Um, selfishness and it's it's a human problem isn't it? it's a problem that we all um, deal with in our humanity we tend to be self-centered and self-focused and always worrying about what I feel or what I think uh, my feelings got hurt or I didn't get my due or my say and and Corinth was was like that it was it was a redeemed church but uh they were struggling with a lot of this selfishness and self-centeredness. And, and in this um, carnality, Paul writes this letter. And he's correcting a lot of these problems. And one of the pro this problem really surfaced in the, in the Lord's Supper and how that they had failed to really sanctify it in their thinking as something holy. And they were continuing in their selfishness and not waiting on each other at the table and, and not not sharing a meal together, really, as it in, had been intended. And so Paul's correcting them. He warns them to examine themselves and, and to partake in a, in a worthy manner, a manner that exalts Christ, that remembers what he's done for us. And he admonishes them to discern or, or consider the body. And, and there's really, a, I believe, a twofold image there one the body of Christ and in the context he's talking about the body the, the spiritual body of Christ us the church and we are to, we are to um, think about each other and uh, love each other forgive each other and so when we come to uh, this meal and what Christ has done for us what a great time it is to um, love each other because Christ loved us uh, so much. Well, you can peel back that foil layer and, and we'll drink the juice together in remembrance of the blood that was spilt for us, given for us, the blood of this holy Lamb of God. All right, well, Lord bless you and uh, May the may he accomplish his purposes in you this week. Amen.